You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Well, welcome to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and I'm joined by the one, the only, Dan Burkholder. Dan, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing very well. I'm glad that I am the one and the only. The world is only big enough for one of us, so, and us, I mean me, so. (laughs) You are my only. Dan, I'm excited this time of year, because this time of year, I am just I can feel it in my bones. Elk season is almost here. Uh, In Colorado, we've played the leftover tag game. We got another leftover tag dump today. Um, It's exciting. People are getting their tags. We're getting ready for the hunts. We're doing some scouting. I don't know about you, Dan, but um, I'm raring to go. Yeah, this is this is the time of year when, as soon as it hits August first, my wife says, essentially, this is the Dan rut. Like I am. Thinking about hunting, <laughs> I don't sleep. Uh, I'll be staring off into the distance, and she goes, "What are you thinking about?" And the answer is always the same: hunting. Oh yeah. Where am I going to hunt? What equipment do I need? What do I need to do next? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Generally, Dan, by the time September gets here, my wife is like, "Please go. You are driving me nuts. You are like a dog who is just sitting at the door whining to go on its walk. <laughs> just please go. Get it out of your system." But and, she doesn't uh, realize that the more you do it, the more you want to do it. I know. Well, even last year, Dan, <laughs> September, I I hunted a lot in September archery. And I got done with it. Really brutal season. A lot of things went wrong. Uh had a, had a great time. Had a lot of opportunity almost, you know, get really close to elk archery you know that's just how it goes um i got done with it and i was so tired like exhausted physically just to the bone exhausted i told my wife i was like i'm never hunting archery again and uh like three that's really feminine thank you for that yeah you're welcome three days later dan i was like man i can't wait for archery season and it is i mean i will say um it's just it's just one of the most special times of year september in the mountains, elk bugling. It is. It is. I, you know, what's funny. I was out smoking a pipe the other day in my backyard and I could hear elk bugles in my neighborhood, but I'm nowhere near <laughs> the mountains. It was just people getting ready and there were responding bugles and oh, I yeah. ran to get my calls and I couldn't find them. So I was kind of oh, bummed. Yeah. I missed out on that, but oh yeah, uh, it is definitely that time of year. So Eric, let me ask you a question. You're thinking about this. It's still a few weeks away. Uh, opener for me is actually, I think it's August 21st. Don't, don't quote me on that. But it's getting soon for me. But what have you been doing to get ready specifically around the areas of physical fitness? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. So uh, something that we'll jump into in today's show. But uh, really for me, I learned this a couple of years ago. Uh, me and my buddy were talking about hunting. And he said, you know, everybody does this thing where like a month or two before the season, they get in this mad rush to get in the kind of physical shape you need to get into to uh, be ready for elk season. So it's changed for me in the last, I'd say, five to seven years. Um, Based on that conversation with my friend David, we were just like, look, dude, if you just stay in shape all year, 
like you're doing some hiking, you're doing some snowshoeing, you're keeping general basic overall fitness all year round. Um, it's a lot easier not to have to go into this like mad dash in the last you know month uh, before the season or so. But I would say right now, basically, I, I'm brushing up. This is the non-physical side, but I'm basically brushing up on my calls, as you said. Uh, my buddies and I, we like to harass each other and send late night elk bugles uh, via text message um, so that <laughs> hopefully it wakes somebody up in the house. <laughs> um, so we're constantly doing that. Um, I, I would say the other thing, if there's archery tags on the table, obviously we're doing a lot of shooting, um, get the target out, working on arrows, putting the finishing touches on that stuff. Um, and then physically, I, I would say generally the month before, I try to include this in a lot of my scouting, but really getting a lot of rucking in. So carrying heavy weight on your back in the mountains at altitude, um, at least get out to the area where you're going to be, put a couple miles um, on your boots, on your feet, with the pack on, just sort of get used to the environment. Um, just as sort of a, uh, you know, breaking you into the season. Dan, what about you? What, what are you doing this time of year? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. No, I, uh, so I have, I do have an archery tag and I'm very excited about it. Even though experience in the past has told me that it's going to be a, a exercise in futility, but I'm going to be optimistic about it. You're never going to find a more optimistic guy in the mountain. So I love it. The things I'm doing to get ready. Uh, I, I started a, a weightlifting regiment, uh, probably six, eight weeks ago now and have been primarily focused on getting my legs, hips and low back like beast mode. Yeah. I want to have a bubble, butt. I have no butt, but I want to have a bubble, butt really bad so that I can, I can, uh, climb over those dead deadfalls with, uh, 70 pounds of elk meat on my back and laugh because of how happy I am that I overcame the odds of where I hunt and actually got something. <laughs> I say that, but you know what? I'm actually running a 33% success rate where I hunt. So I guess that's not too bad. No, that's good for archery. Especially, yeah. Especially for archery. Well, and, yeah. and you bring this up, Dan, but a huge part of it will, will kind of, I want to ask you this question, but you mentioned the legs, but what are some other unique challenges um, for guys who are going to hunt elk? And, and as I ask that question, Keep in mind, you know, we, we may have guys from the Midwest who've never, never been elk hunting. Uh, we have people in the West who it's been a long time. Maybe they're not in shape. They can't remember, whatever. But just some general things, like what unique things do you have to be prepared for physically uh, when archery elk season comes? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that you're going to be climbing a lot. So doing like a Stairmaster or something like that see, it is pretty obvious. But the things that you don't think about, are your feet, especially your footwear and the shape of your feet, which sound, I don't mean like, are they in a, a pleasant shape for a foot? I mean, like <laughs> wearing the socks and the boots yeah. that you're going to be wearing and having them get used to carrying weight and especially over pretty rough terrain. Even like I, I was um, talking to my brother about the types of boots that you wear, because if you don't have a stiff enough sole where I'm hunting, it's rock, like a lot of rock. Yeah. You will have bruised feet, which is really weird to have because you're just stepping on pointy rocks all the time uh, and having, having stronger ankles. 
I was just going to ask you real quick, Dan, what are you, what are you wearing for boots? Yeah, I have, uh, are they low, L-O-W-E, mountaineer, European mountaineering boots. Uh-huh, um, okay. That's, that's what I'm wearing, which have amazing ankle support, very rigid soles. The downside with a lot of mountaineering boots, in my experience, is that doing a stock is not the easiest because there's not a lot of flexibility. But if you if you're using like that type of boot or a Mendel or a, um, Crispies or something like that, what what kind of boots are you wearing? So first of all, I think you're referring to Loa, the German. Yeah, is that how you pronounce it? L O W. Is it A? a? Yeah. Yeah, Loa. that's what I have. Oh. I just wear yeah. them. I don't advertise for them. So, yeah, I know. Not yet. Um, I've uh, I've had a lot of different boots. Uh, just kind of through the industry, I've done a lot of boot reviews and have tried out most of the major, major flex. There, by the way. Yeah. Thank you for exactly. that. Exactly. I just wanted you to feel yeah. like well, I used to buy band. boots, you know, as a product manager. But anyway, exactly. continue. Flex. I love it. Um, but no, I, I, as part of that, it was really helpful because, um, like I've tried the Loas, a couple different kinds of Loas really like those. Um, currently I'm running the, uh, crispy Nevadas. Um, that is my all time favorite boot so far. It's kind of the perfect blend between stiff enough sole, great to walk in, Kind of the best all-around uh, mountain boot that I've found so far. I've had those for... Nice. Oh, I bought them at the beginning of last season. I'd say I probably have three, maybe 300 miles on them uh, mm. over last season. Um, they're non-insulated, uh, which I prefer for most of the early season stuff. Um, you can just put some thicker socks on. But yeah. um, the only time I really change stuff, like if I'm... Uh, Mountain goat hunting, we did that one year. I'd really prefer to be in like a La Sportiva or, you know, I've worn the Loa Tibet, which is, it's more of a mountaineering boot, um, just because everything is straight vertical. Sure. Yeah, again, the Crispy, you can, you can do vertical, um, but it's kind of good all around. A lot of those vertical boots I found are just heinous if you have to put a lot of like trail miles on. Yeah. Um, so anyway... Uh, but yeah, I, I love the point. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you got to get, you got to get used to your socks. You got to get, if you haven't break your boots in, um, finding out on the hunt that your boot is uncomfortable. Uh, a lot of guys, I, I mean, we say this and then I see people do it where it's like, oh yeah, I've never worn this boot or, or I've worn this boot around the house for a day yeah. and now we're 10 miles deep in the backcountry. That's a really bad time to yeah. find out that that's not your boot. Most, most equipment failures are, you can overcome, but if yeah. you, if you wreck your feet, you're done. Yeah. If you can't walk, you can't hunt. I mean, that's just the, the reality. So, so the other thing I would say, as far as getting in physical shape is getting used to, and I think you mentioned it, getting used to carrying weight on your back with your yeah. backpack. Cause that stresses muscles that you're not used to Core. Um, having, having, uh, those shoulder straps and getting your, yeah. Uh, and around your hips and carrying that weight uphill. Uh, that's another thing that I think really would help. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I've also, um, um, so I'm a, a little bit fortunate in Denver, the pack that I own is a Kifaru. Um, and if you go like to their store, 
Um, they'll actually help you fit the pack. They'll help you make sure you know how to, you know, we don't want to dumb down people's intelligence here, but it's very common to not know how to properly cinch the pack down, either too tight, too loose. Yeah, it's actually it's actually rather difficult to fit a pack. It is. To yourself without, without some help. Yeah. So um, I recommend that. There's a lot of backpacking REI type stores um, that if you go in, they'll they should have some people that can help you do that. Say you're out East or something. Um, but that, that's a huge important one. Um, some of the other things, Dan, that, you know, especially if you're at low elevation, it's hard to compensate for, but altitude, right? That's going to be a huge component mm. of mountain hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what elevation are you sitting at? Um, we live, I want to say it's 4,200 feet. Oh, okay. That's about yeah. what I am. So 4,200 yeah. feet. Yeah. The thing is, and I don't know where you elk hunt, but where I go, I'm camping at over 10,000 feet. I think it's 10,200 about. And yeah. so, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty big swing. You know, I have 6,000 feet difference, but if you're in, I mean, like in the Midwest, I'm trying to remember what the highest point where I grew up was. I think it was 1200 feet or 1300 feet and you go up 9,000 feet. That's a that's a shock to the system. By it the way, is. the air is actually thinner up there. So if you're ever hunting or hiking with me and I'm having a hard time breathing, it's not because I'm overweight and out of shape. It's because the air is thin. Yeah. Or it's just a convenient excuse. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, yeah, I've noticed that. Um, you know, uh, for a time while I was working at Guns and Ammo, we lived in Illinois. And I want to say our elevation, Dan, was like 200 feet maybe. Right. Right. And um, so one of the things that I noticed was when, when you came to the mountains, we would come out to hunt. It was just absolutely brutal. Uh, one of the things that I've recommended and I've ha- heard other people do just to um, kind of prepare for it. Number one is, you know, do quite a bit of cardio, some high intensity interval training on the bike or running, something to get your heart rate up um, so that you're, you know, st- stretching your lungs essentially. But in terms of elevation, um, you really can't simulate that. No. So if you can come out at least a day or two early, just hang out at the elevation you're going to be at, take it easy. Um, that can really help you out. Drink a ton of water, obviously. And then one of the things um, that I found uh, with some people from East who had you know, come out to hunt is they brought these, you can buy in the mountains of Colorado, at least you can get them. They're like oxygen oxygen cans um it kind of looks like a febreze bottle but you put your mouth to it and you can oh interesting suck some oxygen well it was interesting because you know i live here and i'm hunting here but but the one year i was like the first two days of the hunt i'm usually pretty tired at the end of the day just not used to the altitude extra miles etc and uh, i was like the third day i took a couple hits off the oxygen can it was like my energy levels were so much greater that day um, and they, they, cause they were, you know, they were like, Hey, this really helps, helps people get used to it. So maybe that's one, one way to get, uh, I've never even know. heard of this. This this is wild. This is like a cheat code. Yeah. It, it'd be like, man, the way I found out about it was, well, two things make sense. Number one, if you ever watch, uh, any sports in Colorado, especially like the football games, you can see this, um, people will like return a kick or something for a touchdown and they're always on the sideline and they got the oxygen mask on. So, okay. Oxygen and elevation that obviously helps you. 
Uh, but the other one was you, you, I found out about this stuff. You'd go to like mountaineering stores um, in Colorado, especially you go down by the, you know, where all the 14ers are. In all these mountain towns, they sell oxygen. I was like, well, the mountain climbers use it. Obviously, uh, it could probably help if you're in that same terrain hunting. So, yeah. Out of curiosity, for those that might be coming from the East Coast and never, definitely not somebody that lives in the Mountain West, uh, how much does an oxygen tank cost? Do you know? Man, I don't even know. I mean, okay, I didn't I know. Can, uh, I can maybe we don't we don't I'm have sure to Google Amazon. It. Amazon Amazon sells, sells oxygen. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt I it. I bet they do. I uh, I bet they don't. What do you want? They to do. Bet? It is called no, no. They it don't. is called Boost Oxygen. That's exactly what. Uh, I had a four pack of boost oxygen is 37 bucks. Oh, dang. Hey, if you're coming here from low elevation, get yourself some oxygen. That's what I learned today. I think we should just end the show right now. You don't even need to work out. Just bring, <laughs> buy, buy okay. two of those. Eight, eight packs of oxygen. Just carry that on your back. You don't even need you water. Don't even, you don't even. <laughs> wow. Uh, at this point, I'd like you to consult your physicians and <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Dan, quickly, uh, before we jump into some more details about the, the, the fitness nutrition side of this, a couple other things that people will face when you go mountain hunting and, and I don't, you know, I don't know how you prepare for these physically per se, but a couple things I think of is sleep deprivation, sleeping in a tent sleeping on the ground. I don't know about you, but these definitely affect my hunt. Yeah. You know what? You, you said that the first two days of your hunt, you're really tired. Part of that is because if you don't, and I think Steven Rinella talks about this. He intentionally on the first day of his hunt will just absolutely kill himself physically so that he yeah. can sleep at night. And there's something to that. Like, you're going to not, if you don't sleep well, the first couple of nights, you won't get caught up no matter how many naps, you know, cause the thing is, if you're doing it right, if you're really hitting it hard, you don't even have the opportunity for a full eight hours no. because there's just the, especially in archery season towards, towards the later seasons, you have obviously more darkness and you have more opportunity to get some sleep. But in archery season, good luck. You're not getting eight hours more than likely if you're doing it right. And so there's, I don't really think there's a, a way to prepare for that other than just hit it hard physically and don't be afraid to take a nap on the mountain. Or maybe, maybe someone would say that's being lazy. I don't think so. I love oh, taking no. naps on the mountain and it's a necessity sometimes. I'm a huge proponent of the nap and I absolutely agree. The only people that I've seen on the sleep front that it affects less especially around here, like the, the coal miner EMT type people who are used to being up at weird hours and being sleep deprived and working like 16 hour night shifts. Some of those guys can tend to do a little better, but um, one of the games that my buddy Mike likes to play um, is he likes to snap photos of us when we've fallen asleep and then he'll either post them to social and it'd be like, oh, what a baby. This person was sleeping when we, I was glassing. And here they are asleep. Yeah, right. Uh, so we kind of joke with each other about that. But um, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm napping in the truck, especially late season, doing a ton of stuff outside. I get in the truck and the heater gets turned on. That pupper, that just knocks me out every time. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I will say one thing that you could do to prepare yourself is just be disciplined in what time you wake up in the morning. Huge, so as, yeah. as, um, this hasn't been for hunting, but it will benefit my hunting, uh, over the last eight weeks since I've started this, this one exercise, uh, routine, I've been getting up earlier and earlier and earlier trying to shoot for a more respectable time to wake up in the morning. And yeah. so that, that's something that could definitely help is if you get used to waking up at four 30, then when you wake up at, at three 30 or four o'clock to get, to get to your spot, uh, it won't be quite as big of a shock, but, but really if you uh, take care of yourself beforehand, if you're, uh, if you're healthy, if you're in shape and you've been eating right, then I think that'll help with yeah. sleep def- deprivation. So. Yeah, I think that's huge. Uh, one of the other things, Dan, what we've, we've got two more really to talk about here before we jump into some, some training aspects. But um, one of the things that I always think about is the meat cutting. So quartering an elk, man, it is like a full body workout. It is, I don't remember where I heard this, but I have to, I get so intense both on the trail, on the mountain, but especially during the meat cutting up, I have to like set a timer and be like, okay, you need to stop. You need to sit against a tree. You need to drink some water. You need to have a cliff bar. Um, But one of the things I noticed is it, it is just such a draining thing. And if you're not physically in shape, right, the, the whole meat cutting process. And then that's not even talking about putting on your back and hauling it down the mountain, right? That whole process itself is pretty physical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've butchered elk, uh, with help and without help. And I will say that, um, it's, it's, it's not like twice as hard, twice as difficult to do it by yourself. It's way more than that. I mean, lifting up a hind quarter on your back while you're trying to separate it, sever it from the animal is it's brutal, man. I tell you what, and then having those quarters and trying to keep them clean and lifting them, getting them in the sacks, you know, the the meat sacks, it's, it's, it's really challenging. Uh, but when you said you have to set a timer to take a break, I thought about the last time I was butchering an elk and I shot it really early in the morning and I'm in this valley and I'm watching the sun get closer and closer and closer to the elk. And the sun's not that big a deal, right? But the flies oh. that were on the logs that were in the sun, they're just waiting. And they're just, as they get closer, they're blow flies, right? I and, uh, they're the worst. Right. And so I'm like going as fast as I can. And I had that thing butchered pretty quick, but I didn't beat the sun. And so I'm, by the way, have you ever heard of this thing? I I tried it. I don't know how well it worked. I think it worked okay, but I I took citric acid in a spray bottle in my pack. And then when I shot the shot, my elk, I mixed water in my spray bottle to try to uh, lower the pH of the meat so that it was less attractive for the flies. I think it kind of worked. I don't know if you've ever heard of doing anything like that. No, but I, that sounds very intriguing. I know it's, uh, man, I, I've had times, Dan, where it's like, I swear I got that, the meat off and in the bag like immediately. And yeah. I'm still just dealing with fly problems. It's so frustrating. Yeah, it is really frustrating. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Uh, but if you guys don't, uh, from, from out east know, what blowflies are they're just a they look like a really fat house fly and they lay eggs on your meat and you can see the eggs they're like probably half the size of a grain of rice they look like rice and they just lay them everywhere 
And if you didn't get a, don't get them off in time, I, I, I don't remember. You'll have to Google it to check me. But I think it's like three or four days when they hatch into maggots. Yeah. It's really fast. If you don't freeze the meat or you don't get it, you don't get them, those eggs off, then they, they become problematic. Or on ice. On ice slows them down, obviously. But Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a definite issue. I'll have to try that, try that trick out. Yeah. So back, back to being in shape to, to cutting, cutting your elk meat. One of the things that becomes really vital is towards the end of you, you've just hiked up the mountain. You just had this exhilarating experience. You have a rush of adrenaline in your, in your bloodstream. That's now waning. You've been working really hard to butcher this elk. And what can happen is you start to lose control and uh, of your, of your knife. And then also your mental faculties start to wane. And so it's really easy to make mistakes. And I remember one time I'm, I'm butchering an animal. I can't remember if it was a deer or elk. It doesn't really matter. But I'm all by myself and I'm cutting and I slipped and my, my hand hit the inside of my leg. Oh, man. And I scared myself because that's how these guys, though. They'll be cutting their elk. They're standing over it, legs spread, and you're cutting the elk, and you can cut your femoral artery really easily, and then you bleed out and you die, and that's it. Like you're done, and and so that's one thing that it's very important to be in shape and to have to keep awareness. So you said to take breaks, yeah, and to have a snack and like drink some water uh, to stay aware, aware, because that's, it's one of the higher risk things that you're going to do on the mountain is swing a knife around at a, <laughs> at an animal, you know, yeah. hauling 65 plus pound quarters. It's really easy to get hurt. So that's another reason to stay in shape and, and to be mentally aware of what you're doing at all times. Yeah. I also think, um, one year, Dan, I, I spent a lot of time doing this, but, um, just focusing on strengthening my back particularly with like deadlift and bent over rows. Um, cause I, what I realized was like, you know, where it always kills me is like my low back. And cause you're, you're usually like hanging over this animal to some extent. Yeah. You're bent over the whole time. So just trying to find ways to strengthen those, your core muscles, your back, your abdomen, that sort of thing. I think also, also really helps. Uh, Dan, the, the other thing that's interesting here, and we haven't talked about it yet, but I want to get your take on is You've also got to get in shape if you're bow hunting. You've got to get in shape for shooting a bow. So there's a lot that goes into this, and, and maybe we'll do a full episode on you know how to prepare archery-wise, shooting bow, and all that sort of thing. But what are some of the unique challenges, I guess, um, for you as you're getting ready, you're shooting your bow? What, what sorts of muscle groups do you need to have uh, ready for that? Well, yeah, so I, I had a actually worked in an archery shop, a pro shop for quite a long time. And one of the things that was, that kept coming up time and time again, is you get these guys that are really big, they're buff, right? They've got big arms, big shoulders, and they couldn't draw back a 70 pound bow. It's because you use muscles that are kind of particular to shooting a bow. Like it's just a, it's a, it's a, uh, a motion that's not natural in, in like your weightlifting routines and such, um, tucking your arm, uh, like when you're doing a bent over dumbbell row or something like that, you're, you're pulling your elbow in next to your hip, like towards your hip, but not over your shoulder. 
you know, it's, it's just a, it's a unique, it uses some smaller muscles anyway. So I, I would just say, um, that repetition is really important, but it's really easy to overdo it. And so I remember one year, uh, it was August, um, and I was preparing for archery opening in September in the Midwest. And I was like, I got to, I'm behind. I got to shoot at hundred arrows a day. That's what I was going to do. And I got tendonitis and I could not draw my bow back because I just, I just overdid it in my shoulder. So it's, it's easy to get frustrated early. Just take your time, work on holding your bow back for quite a while. One thing that's really nice with, uh, how our tree equipment has advanced. When I started, uh, when I started bow hunting, you had to shoot a 29 inch draw light arrow, 70 pounds to get 300 feet per second, if you were lucky. And now with, um, the way that, uh, archery equipment has advanced, I shoot a 60 pound bow and I'm not sure what speed it is, but it's faster than what I was shooting at 70 pounds. And so I, I think that that really helps too, is to have realistic, you, you have a realistic expectation of your, your strength and your equipment and to take every advantage that you can. I'm not saying don't shoot 70 pounds, shoot 70 pounds, knock yourself out. But I'm saying that for me at 60 pounds, it's kind of like shooting a, for rifle. If you shoot a 308 versus a 300 wind mag, there is a, there's an advantage to shooting a 300 wind mag. Sure. But you don't flinch. It doesn't hurt like it does when you shoot, you know, a 308. So yeah, yeah that's, that's right. kind of a rambly rant about that. But but I would just say, ease yourself into it. Uh, that's what I have to do. Cause I'll hurt my shoulder if I don't, uh, from what I've learned in the past about my own body and then work on holding the bow back for a long time, because there are going to be situations where you have, especially if you're calling, if you're calling, you have elk that have the tendency to hang up in very inconvenient spots. I don't know how they know that their vitals are covered by a tree, but they do. And so you end up holding it for a long time for a long, long time. And so if you, I mean, the advantage I see is that if I can hold back a 60 pound bow for 20 seconds longer than I can hold back a 70 pound bow, I would take that over a flatter shooting bow. If that makes sense. That's how I think. Maybe that's wrong, but that's how I think about it. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, let the record state, Dan, I shoot a 70 pound bow. So that makes me feel technically my bow is 70 pounds. It's set at 60, but you know, whatever. Mine is set at 70, Dan. Um, well, you're just a beast. How long is your draw <laughs> length, Eric? How long is your draw uh, length? It's 20, is it 26? 20, oh my gosh. No. <laughs> I'm not a little person, Dan. Um, is that what you're supposed to call him now? Uh, anyway. Yeah, well, how tall are you? Uh, almost 5'9". Somewhere in there. 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, <laughs> I know. I like how you said almost 5'9". <laughs> well, if I wear... That's like, like me saying I'm almost 6'6". Six, six but I'm really like six, three. Okay. That was three <laughs> inches versus one inch. Yeah. But yeah. as a percentage, it was about equal <laughs> anyway. as a percentage. Yeah. Okay. 70 pound bow, man. Go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You can just address me as that from now on. Um, the seven, 70 pound bow, man. But, but I think, um, you know, when I bought my bow a couple years ago, uh, I shoot a prime rise, not a sponsor, but, uh, I love that bow. Uh, one of the things that the guy explained to me was in a lot of the newer bows, um, the way that the back wall and the let off is designed is um, they, they allow for adjustment there, obviously. But a lot of the newer bows, it, it's crazy. They've actually designed them where it's not ripping your arm out of your socket. Right. Um, 
but yeah, even then, I, I, I mean, I'm sure you've had it happen. You're sitting there, elk is behind a tree, you're drawn back, and you just feel that sucker trying to rip your shoulder out of the socket, and it's like, oh man, I should have prepared more for, because it's something you don't think about when you're shooting arrows, is like, hey, I should draw and then just hold this for like a minute and then shoot, yeah. and then see what my accuracy is like. Well, one of the one of the really bad habits that can develop in in shooting a bow is that you become so reliant on the let off and that wall yes. that um, you can almost you can almost relax right before the let off releases, and you don't squeeze your back muscles, and it'll throw your shot off, and and that can be problematic. Do you, uh, just curious, Dan, on that front, do you, do you shoot a back release or are you? No, I shoot a wrist release and it's only because I'm, I'm too cheap to, um, to change. Yeah. So. I've just, I've just never shot one. I've heard a lot of people. I used to work with the guys at Bowhunter magazine and Peterson's bow hunting and they kind of swore by them, uh, the back release. Yeah. Yeah. I can shoot a back release better, a little bit better. Um, but I, I just, um, I'm so cheap, Eric. I just don't want to <laughs> replace. I, I think my wrist release, it's a Scott, uh, little goose. I think I bought it a little probably goose. 12, 12 or 13 years ago. I think mine's a Scott, Scott Wolverine. Same deal. Very similar. Yeah. So Dan, at this point, now that we have talked about your Scott little goose release, this is not very, it's just not a manly name. I don't know what to tell you, but Moving on now, I want to talk about some of the physical aspects and training aspects. And really, before we get off the ground here, we have to ask a simple question. You've asked this question as we were preparing for the show. It's a really good one. But you you have to know what your goals and your aim of training are, right? So what I want to ask you is, for, for people to just even get to that point, um, how how should they be thinking about like what should my goal be? And I want to ask you, Dan, what what is your like what's your goal this year as you're getting ready for the season? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question that I posed before the show started. <laughs> I think when you're approaching this, and I'll answer in a roundabout way. When you're approaching this question of what are your goals, you have to know your body type, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses. Obviously, if you're so, for example. My frame, I'm a, I'm a, I have a bigger frame. I'm a taller guy. Um, and I want to be able to carry my weight and elk weight really well. So one of the aims is to increase my muscle mass and decrease the amount of fat I have, and especially where I hunt, I am climbing, I, I actually most places it's going to be like this deadfall. It's going to be deadfall city. And so I'm climbing deadfall a lot. So the, the, the aim that I have is I want to have really strong legs, butt and back. That's what I want. I want to, I want to be really strong there. And I want to be able to expand my lung capacity because that is one way that, I mean, you're just going to have a hard time getting oxygen at times. And so having a larger lung capacity is really going to help that. So the way that I'm, the way that I'm approaching that is by, I'm managing my diet very closely. I'm not in some sort of fad diet. What I'm doing is I'm, I've increased the amount of protein I'm eating and I've, uh, I'm avoiding sweets 
I mean, I had cheesecake last night, but that was the first dessert I've had in like three or four weeks because it was served to me and I'm going to joyfully eat cheesecake when I'm having someone over for dinner. But the type of carbohydrates that I'm, I'm focusing on are, are complex carbohydrates. And so I've, my wife was making some Chinese dish and I asked if I could have brown rice instead of white rice, which I don't prefer, but you know what? It's elk season coming up. And so I've been eating like sweet potatoes instead of white potatoes. So those are the sorts of things that I'm doing. And I've been stepping on the scale and, and measuring, taking body measurements. But that's, that's really my aim is I want to cut fat. I want to increase my muscle mass and my lung capacity. Because when you think elk hunting, you should be thinking legs, butt, back, lungs. Those, yeah. are, the, those are the things you're going to use most of the time. And really the way I hunt, it's going to be legs because I'm going to be doing a lot of walking and not a lot of shooting or carrying of heavy meat out of the woods. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) so that's what I've been doing. So I've been doing uh, early morning uh, weightlifting. I've been eating a lot of um, a lot more protein. I've actually uh, I think I probably shouldn't have increased my calories as much as I have, but I really want to make sure that my weightlifting uh, maximizes my muscle mass growth. And so that's why I've, I've done that, uh, and just watching what I eat. And so that's really been the things that I've, I've been focused on is being disciplined in, uh, those things also sleep. I've been trying to be more disciplined in my sleep because your body cannot recover. If you're doing some intense workouts, like if you're weightlifting, if you're doing cardio, if you're strapping on your hunting boots, you're putting um, you know, sandbags or, or something like that on your back and you're hiking, you have to get enough sleep to recover and you have to eat good food in order to recover or else you're yeah. going to, um, you're actually going to do more harm than good. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I think for most guys, Dan, it, it's going to be some combination. Like I want to get stronger. Most guys that I've talked to, at least in America, right? It's a very common thing. Like we gain weight over the holidays, you know, we gain weight all the time, whatever. You, you come into hunting season. So there's generally like, hey, I want to get leaner. I want to get stronger. And I want to lose some weight in the process. So for me, I try to keep a few ground rules in mind. Number one, if you want to lose weight, um, it, it basically you need to look up your, uh, you know, they have different calculators for your body size. Um, that's going to give you like a cal- caloric range. Um, I think like TDII is one that works a little bit better than body mass. But you can look these up online, basically figure out, okay, this is what I weigh, this is what I want to weigh, got to lose some weight. Um, it basically comes down to caloric deficits. Um, you, you've got to eat less, and you've got to move your body more. So some of those calculators will help with that. One of the things that they will do as well is help you avoid too much caloric deficit. So anything more than about 500 calorie deficit per day um, is really considered like a crash diet. This is going to jeopardize your strength, your overall immune system, things like that. It's not going to be good. I could lose 10 pounds next week. Um, but I saw this, Dan, even with the Olympic wrestling this year, right? If they lose weight too fast, more than a pound a week, something like that, trying to make weight, they go to wrestle. And the announcers kept saying, this guy lost too much weight. He looks terrible. He doesn't have the strength, the stamina, et cetera, to to do well in the tournament. So I think some of those general ground rules are helpful. You mentioned some, some diet stuff. Um, one, one tool that I use and have used throughout the years, that, which is helpful, 
is it's a free app. It's called My Fitness Pal. Um, it'll keep track of you do your TDII, um, you set your caloric goals, and then you can track uh, your meals throughout the day. I do recommend for people generally in the beginning, if you have a food scale, that's really helpful. And also measure some of your food because a lot of times they're like, I ate half the can of peanut butter and I put down on my diet sheet one tablespoon. Probably not accurate. So uh, especially when you begin, that's that's a good way to do that. You can track that stuff. Um, the other nice feature about MyFitnessPal that I really like is it's got macros. Um, so for people who don't know what that is, macros, you got protein, carbs, and fat. And you can follow any, any, pretty much anybody who is knowledgeable about nutrition. And they're going to say, hey, if you want to build lean muscle mass and you want to, you know, lose some weight at the same time, essentially what you've got to do is, is something close to eating closer to your body weight in protein. So eat close, try to get as much protein as possible. As you said, you're going to want to limit those carbs to things that are potatoes, not bread, that sort of thing. And then the thing that's often missed is you need healthy fats. Um, and that's a really important component. The studies have shown if, if you're not getting healthy fats, your testosterone levels will drop. And so that's an important part of the, the whole process too. You want to build muscle, et cetera. You need, you're going to need uh, healthy fats in, in your diet. And then the final thing I would say is uh, water. Um, this is often overlooked, but uh, you just really need to pound water. Um, I don't know if you've got any goals on this, Dan, but I, I generally, when I'm training, uh, I will try to no less than 90 ounces a day. So that would be three. I try to do about three Nalgene's. Um, the The only issue I have there is like if I'm traveling, you know, I've got to cut back because um, you can't just go pee all the time. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have any... Um the the thing is you you're uh you're a lot more scientific about this than I am Eric. I don't I don't you know what I do? I eat when I'm hungry and I drink when I'm thirsty. But I always have I always have water on me. Yeah. Uh except for at this moment because I've already I've drank it all. But I I drink a lot of water. And the thing is if you increase your protein intake, so like you said, I'm eating over 200 grams of protein in a day. I don't think I'm eating that much protein, but 200 grams of protein in a day, it takes your body a lot of water yes. to process that much kidney, protein. Kidney function. and Yeah. And it's really important that you do drink enough water um, in order to process all that protein. And so, yeah, I do drink a considerable amount of water. And that gets to the second part of this. So that's some of the nutrition stuff, Dan, but a lot of what I've kind of outlined with some of the, this is some of the stuff that I do anyway with nutrition. It's, it's based on the fact that um, for me, six days a week, I'm, I'm exercising. So I've got three days of pretty intense body weight training, uh, weightlifting. Uh, and then I've got three days of different forms of cardio, usually high intensity interval training. I have weights, weight rack in the garage, and then uh, a treadmill. Um, so I'm using those things. Um, so yeah, that's the other thing you got to take into mind here is like what, whatever your exercise level is, you've got to have a nutrition plan that matches it. Um, uh, one of the things that I've always seen, Dan, is guys are like, well, if I work out really hard, I can eat whatever I want. And it's actually the pretty much exact opposite of that, right? Is because the harder you train physically, 
your body, it's so much more important that you have the right fuel, that you have the right, you know, water intake, that sort of thing. Whereas like, if you're not stressing your muscles and maybe you weren't eating as well, it's like, well, your body, the level of recovery you need, the level of sleep you need, it's just not as great. So I think of it just like a high performance, you know, you got a high performance car, it needs a special kind of fuel. Um, I would say the same about the human body. If you're working out, it's really important to make sure that your nutrition is on point. Sure, man. Yeah. I would make, yeah, you're, it definitely has to have the right nutrition. I guess it just depends on what you mean by eat whatever they want. If you're talking about eating fast food and just garbage, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. The, um, the, the problem with, um, not measuring your macros or, uh, and just basing your, uh, your, um, diet on calories and just pure calories is that your body, while it is kind of like a furnace or like an engine where it will process calories, um, the types of calories do actually matter. Right. Your body doesn't process all calories the same. What about Big Mac calories? Are those processed the same? No, no, that goes straight to the arms, baby. Right to the pipes. Yeah, right to the pipes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like old ladies when they wave, you know, the bottom part that hangs around and jiggles, that's the Big Mac calories right there on the arms. (laughs) No, if you're running, especially if you're running a deficit, well, I mean, obviously, if you're you're eating more calories, <laughs> then those calories also matter. But if you're going to run a deficit, you better make sure that you're you're watching what you eat very carefully, because if your body is not getting the right proteins and the right macros, the right fats, and you're running a deficit, you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself over the long run. And so it's just some something that you have to make sure you watch. Um, but you know what? I'm not a fitness expert. I am not a nutritionist. I think that's pseudoscience anyway, and that we really don't understand a lot about nutrition. But like I said, I, I, the way that I'm approaching my diet is that I'm eating the good fats. I'm eating a lot of protein. I'm eating complex carbohydrates. Um, I'm avoiding sugars and I am doing a lot of, a lot of lifting and I'm expanding my lung capacity and I eat when I'm hungry and I drink when I'm thirsty and I sleep when I'm tired. It's pretty basic. It's pretty basic. And so far, everything's heading in a good direction. It's a lot better than sitting in an office chair and then going out to get Popeye's chicken. Yeah. Well, although that is pretty great, but not in the long run, if you want to live a long time. I forgot to tell you, Dan, uh, we actually have a new sponsor for the show. It's uh, Popeye's chicken. You know what? Forget everything I said. You know what? Just eat fried chicken. <laughs> Fried chicken uh, is our sand- fuel yeah. for the backcountry. <laughs> fried chicken. Just, you know, just go to Popeye's and buy six days worth of fried chicken and put it in a cooler. And that's what you should eat. <laughs> that's what you time. should train on. I mean, that's what you, that is it. That is protein it. protein and fat. One piece of food item. Yep. Yep. That's all you need. Okay. So Dan, I want to ask you a, a couple different things. We've been talking about a lot of these. Um, so number one, lifting weights. Uh, so that's going to be a, a, a huge part of this. Um, the things that I've tended to focus on, and I want to get your take on this, um, a lot of legs, um, that really helps you power up the mountain. You mentioned that, um, really strengthening back and butt muscles, um, which for a lot of guys, uh, this is the case for me. Like I just, I have no butt. And so I really have to work to strengthen that muscle group. 
Um, you just even look at an elk, their butts are enormous and that's how they charge up the mountain like they do. Um, so I'm doing a lot of deadlift, squat, uh, bent over rows, that sort of thing. Um, in terms of upper body, I'm not super crazy about it. Just bench press. I usually do decline bench press, overhead press, shoulder work. Um, I'm not, I've never put a ton of energy into the pipes as, as the young kids say, the, the biceps. Um, I don't know about you, Dan. I know that you're probably doing curls every day for at least an hour. Curls, Is that right? Curls get the girls. That's what they say. <laughs> you know, tries for guys if you're into that sort of thing. Oh my gosh. Curls for girls. Yeah. I've never heard that, but, um, I know in high school that was like a, <laughs> it was like a fixation. What I learned later in life was really these core exercises, right? A lot of the core Olympic lifts. Um, there's a reason that they're so helpful. They work multiple muscle groups. Um, the other thing I, I guess I want to bring up as we're talking about this, Dan, um, I've tended to gravitate toward workouts that can be done in 45 minutes or less. One of the things that I always hated was, you know, a lot of the stuff you could find on bodybuilding.com or wherever it was like, hey, three simple workouts this week that are each two and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, for a lot of guys, <clears throat> myself included, I know for you as well. Um, this has to be balanced with, I have, I have a job, I have a family, uh, I, you know, need to lead in family worship and there's so many other responsibilities. I want to put a premium on my health and on the shape of my body, but I also have to do that in a reasonable amount of time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the thing is the, my weightlifting workout does take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes. And I hate when it takes that long. But in the in the workout I'm doing, it's not a high intensity training workout. It's a muscle mass building um, workout. Yeah, and so uh, it's encouraged for you to take adequate breaks in between your working reps in order so that you don't fail on your last rep. And so sometimes it just takes a little bit longer, and the amount of warm up that I'm doing in that uh, is pretty substantial. So I'll give you an idea when I do my squats, I'm doing two sets of five with an empty bar. And then I add a little bit of weight and then I'm doing another set of five and then I'm doing more weight and another set of five. And then I'm doing more weight and another set, I think a set of three that should be about 20% lower than my working, uh, than my work, work, uh, reps. And then I go into three sets of five and my work reps. So I'm doing a ton of warm up before I actually get to my work, my work sets. Right. in order to properly lubricate everything. And so that does take some time to to get warm and to stay warm. But I agree with you. Spending two hours in a gym is a waste of time. I, I don't, I mean, I'm no, again, no fitness expert. And you wouldn't look at me and go, look at that specimen. You know, I'm going to listen to everything that he says, but your time is too valuable to spend two hours a day at the gym, plus 15 minutes driving there, plus 15 minutes home, plus, you yeah. know, all the other time that you're jacking around. You're just wasting time at that point you you're wasting time and ain't nobody got time for that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's huge. Um, it's for that reason. I, I try to limit, uh, usually once a week, uh, will be a kind of a long workout day. Um, and I try to include the kids, you know, uh, take the boys and, and, and we can go for, you know, a 10 mile hike or something like that. That's local. Um, so just incorporating for family, um, can be really important. 
Um, other things to add to the list, and this would be included in, say, like a long hike, just put weight on your back. Um, a lot of times I'll just carry a ton of water, carry everybody's water, carry my camera equipment, whatever it is. Try to get to that 25 to 30 pound range, I think, at least for some training. And then I'll, I have some 70 pound sandbags. I, I'll throw one of them on there. Um, and one do or two, that. you know. One or two. <laughs> no, I've only, I've only ever really done 70. Um, I feel like, I don't know. If, it seems like that was, that was plenty. And then, um, honestly, where I feel it is like my hips, just getting that, you know, mm-hmm. used to churning along the trail with that kind of weight on your pack. So your, your body doesn't freak out when you got, you know, a hind quarter on there or something like that. Well, um, you know what? Uh, carrying too much weight for too long is, is really probably not great on your joints. It's why I'm actually opposed to running. But anyway, continue. You're opposed to running, Dan? Is that, yeah, and I think that's more because you're a Viking warlord. There is that because there your is enemies no running. run from you. You, you stand your ground. You yeah. don't run. Yeah, unless you're harrying a, a a retreat. Yeah, I used to uh, I used to be big into it. So I uh, would run half marathons and stuff like that. Did some triathlon training. Honestly, the biggest the biggest deal was um, when I got to like thirty plus miles a week, I was always hurt uh you know i've spent a ton of time at the physical therapist and i was just like this is stupid and as the family grew it was like i just don't have time yeah that is one problem i have with running is that it just takes so long if you're to actually push yourself that one of the one of the things i i got this years ago from uh i first saw it in bill phillips but the beauty of a high intensity workout on the bike um you could do stairmaster you could do running I I usually do running, but the beauty of it is it's 20 minutes. And so that was one of the things Bill said. He's like, if you want to keep people like you want to get a really intense cardio workout, but you don't want to tear up your knees and your ankles and and you have time restrictions and all those things, he said 20 minutes and it's intense and you're going to be, you know, your heart rate gets up there. But um, that's actually been way more beneficial for, at least for me, for long-term health rather than the 10 mile a day thing. And, you know, my knees always out of whack and got to go to the chiropractor all the time, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we've covered a lot as far as like different workouts and nutrition and things like that. I would say if you're, if you're, a, yeah, especially if you're an older gentleman, this is what I'm telling my dad, like, again, watch what you eat. And for him doing some of these, um, He's not into uh, lifting weights and and doing high intensity workouts. He's like sixty six years old, right? And he wants to go elk hunting with me. And so I said, "Here's the thing that you're going to do. The best way for you to get in shape for what we're going to do is to just do what we're going to do, and that's hike. Put put a little bit of weight on your back, and just hike. And we have the luxury of doing that because, I mean, right now I'm I'm I, I think a mile away from a trailhead." into the Wasatch front. And so we have the ability to do that. I know that not everybody does, but if you're going to do anything, that's what I would recommend is just do what you're going to do. And that's hike, put some weight on your back and just hike. And, and, and that's it. You know, if you're going to do the minimum. I I think that's really good. Um, And I would say too, you know, I've hunted with my dad. He's older as well. He's had triple bypass surgery. Um, the other thing to do is really pick a hunt and pick your level of intensity for the hunt that is realistic. 
And I think that's probably, you know, a, a good place for people to realize like, hey, if I waited a month before the season, I'm not in great shape. Don't think you're going to go like, you know, trek in 25 miles, kill an elk and then pack it out by yourself. Like that would be dumb. My dad would tell me, you know, Eric, you're stupid. We're not doing that. Um, we know based on our physical, whatever that is, based on our physical ability, we have to build a hunt around that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Set realistic expectations for sure. I mean, the thing is, even if you're in really good shape, you have to have to realize that you're immortal and that yeah. that not everybody, even while in good shape, can hike in f- even five miles and shoot a bull by themselves and pack it all out while still not having the meat go bad. It's a lot of work. And uh, in some of the areas that I hunt, even even a couple miles, two or three miles is a it's a it's two and three miles of deadfall. I'm I know I keep bringing up deadfall, but it's I hate deadfall. It's, it's the worst. It is miserable. You look especially at especially with weight on where your I back. hunt. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's really dangerous too. Um so it's it's important for me to have trekking poles, my sissy poles, so my sissy sticks or whatever they call. I because always have them. You you don't wanna you don't wanna bust an ankle or something like that on deadfall. But it's it's a real problem where I where I hunt. The elk love it um, when there's hunting pressure, but yeah, that's it. You have to know your physical, uh, realistically your physical limitations. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Dan, one of the last things I want to do, and then we'll close here is just gives people some resources, um, that they can check out one of the ones and we'll include it in the show notes that, that I would recommend. Um, we did an episode, uh, with Bill Rapier, uh, dev grew seal team six guy lives in the mountains. Um, he's got a program called the Modern Minuteman Physical Training Plan. This is a really good plan, I think, for a lot of people because it's it basically wherever you are, just start and build. Uh, Bill is huge on rucking. Uh, that's kind of what you're talking about with doing what you're going to be doing out in the field. Um, and it can also be very, very realistic. He's got stuff in here for some weight training. Um, it could be from the person who wants to go to the you know full scale gym every day. It could be for the guy who has a kettlebell and a pull-up bar and some is going to do push-ups. So you can kind of tailor it around whatever you, you know, whatever access to equipment you have. Uh, but he's got, uh, he goes through the weeks and I think he's got this, let's see, in 12-week increments. So on his, he's, you know, by the end of it, he's walking eight miles with 45 pounds on his back. Uh, week one, he's walking two miles with no rock you know, no pack. Mm, mm-hmm. So this is really good. And I think it's tailored for mountain hunting, but also the Minuteman idea for Bill was, Hey, you know, guys should be able to have physical capability in sort of a, you know, end of the world type scenario, I guess you could say, uh, or, you know, you get stranded in your vehicle, whatever it is, you're in the mountains, you may have to get out. This is really helpful on a number of levels. Um, the other thing, Dan, you've mentioned a couple of things, um, two books, uh, just talk a little bit about those. Number one, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, you mentioned to me. Um, what's the use of this book? Yeah, well, some of the premise is kind of gay, quite honestly. It's, um, <laughs> it's the subtitle. It, quite often when you approach a book, the title is, um, is misleading. It's the, uh, it's the uh, subtitle that you want to pay attention to, and it's, this is the simple science of building the ultimate male body. And so a lot of it has to do with physique. That's why I say it's kind of gay. 
yeah. the things that are in there that's really good are um, it, it goes through um, Michael Matthews goes through uh, some really good nutritional um, practices. He debunks a lot of myths in working out and in nutrition that I found to be particularly helpful. The other book that I would very strongly recommend over Bigger, Leaner, Stronger is Starting Strength by Mark Ripitell. And the reason I would recommend it is because it's a, I can't remember, 300-page book or so, and it's primarily talking about how to do deadlift, squat, overhead press, and bench press. And then it has some other other exercises as well, uh, like the power clean, bent over dump, um, barbell rows. Um, but it, it's all about form and why you should do those lifts the way that they recommend you do those lifts. And it's very, very helpful as far as form and not hurting yourself and how to gain strength. And through that program, I've become a, a big believer in the low bar squat because it works your hips. And that's how you get, like you said, a bigger butt. And it will really help you when you're hoofing it up the mountain. Uh, the low bar squat, look into that. They also have a really helpful YouTube channel. But that's more about um, just simply getting stronger. Uh, they're not interested as much in cutting weight or in the purpose of, you know, of hunting. It sounds like the Bill Rapier method is really more tailored to what we're talking about here. But for just simply, you want to get stronger, starting strength is a great program. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah. And I, I what I found, Dan, is like for anybody, like you're going to have to pick what your goals are. And then you're, you know, a lot of what I've done is just combine different things that are going to help me. Um, my wife actually introduced me to Mark Ripito's stuff a while back and um, really helpful. I would also say to guys, like, um, you can go on YouTube and Mark's got a lot of videos um, that are really helpful if you're not sure what form should look like. Um, so a lot of, like, if you've never lifted before, it's a great, resource and then if you have lifted it's a great resource so yeah yeah i think so just to give you a little little inside i increased my squat 100 pounds in six weeks that's right dan you're already a beast in my book but um i, I think it's a good place to close i think most guys just need to be encouraged that look most of us are not going to be cam haynes we're not going to be elite olympic athletes but you just start from wherever you are and you can get better and you can have the physical strength that you need to uh, perform well on a hunt, make it a successful and fun hunt for you, your family, your friends, whoever you're with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say there's a reason that the, uh, the guys that are doing these really huge deadlifts are fat. Oh, it's, it's 100% true. Yep. So if you want to be lean, you're probably not going to be up there on stage next to the big fat guys that are deadlifting like those crazy weights. So 700 That's pounds, okay with you know. me, Dan. I just want some horns <laughs> on my back as I'm packing out of the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. I just want some meat. <laughs> I'm, I might even shoot a cow. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. To be determined. We'll find out in September. TBD. Well, appreciate it, Dan. Happy hunting. I know we'll be talking more about that in upcoming episodes. Keep you primed and excited for the hunting season. So we'll talk next time. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Until next time, men, live dangerously, be wild, 
and embrace the wilderness warrior way of life.